are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? Well, uh, Jeff, like I'm, I'm, I, I'm, we're, we're recording this not that long before I head on vacation, so I'm like one foot out the door, you know? <laughs> Really, but still, your your head is fully in it. Well, kind of, as yeah. much as it ever is, really. I think, <laughs> but that's it's a ringing endorsement. Well, you know, I uh, try not to oversell. No, for sure. But you know, always good to uh, to record some interesting episodes. You'll be uh, on the continent for a little while. Exactly. But, yeah. So, exactly. Hard to reach, but uh, uh, no, it's, it's uh, I. Uh, I, I I love the opportunity to um, you know through the course of of the show we've um we, you know we've had a lot of kind of people that kind of approach manufacturing marketing or impact it from kind of various different angles and yeah and, very different backgrounds yeah too, yeah and, uh, and 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 I've got to say like uh you know, we, we, we have interviewed on occasion uh, folks that are um, that come from an engineering background and are uh, working in the marketing side of things for manufacturers. And uh, to quote our favorite movie, No Country for Old Men, that's certainly when I feel outmatched. <laughs> yes, no, they, they have knowledge that we just can't understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and now I, I could channel um, uh, an old acquaintance uh who is an electrical technician who used to work with electrical engineers? So he made a he made his whole career basically out of making fun of engineers uh, and the pinky ring. So I could probably have like three or four of those jokes in my, but uh, let's not do that. No, I don't think that that's appropriate. No. No. But 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 if I have to resort to that in order to feel better about myself in the course of this conversation, <laughs> then we'll know what's happening. I I don't think you will. I think you'll be <laughs> fine. Yeah. So but but it is you know I think manufacturing marketing is one of the few professions where you do see people coming from these very diverse backgrounds and finding that they have a real uh, something incredibly interesting and different to offer yeah in, yeah in a, a perspective a that uh, a lot of um, a lot of marketers really find it hard to get to really mm -hmm. yeah oh, yeah so without further ado let's Indeed. get on with it so joining us today is adam kimmel and adam is a content writer and strategist for engineers and technical audiences welcome to the cooler ring adam thanks so much for having me guys i appreciate being on yeah, Adam, it's great to have you on the show, and um, let's let's get underway um, and tell us a little bit about just yourself and your your work and background, uh, just to to ground our audience, if you would. Sure. Well, well speaking of diverse backgrounds, <laughs> so I uh, I started as a research engineer. So I worked. Uh, I got a degree in chemical engineering and worked making fuel cell components hydrogen reactors, these kind of things for stationary and, and uh, automotive uh, fuel cell systems. Uh, so then I, I completed my master's degree in mechanical engineering, which is kind of how I got into manufacturing. So I'm, I'm a, a hybrid engineer by training. But through all of that, uh, all my work has been research based. I've spent years working on electric vehicles, um, heat exchangers for uh, for data center cooling and, and things of that nature. And so really just a lot of diverse products, but through all that, they were innovative. And so I spent a lot of my career on the front end of things and working kind of intellectual property and through patents. And that's how I began to realize the power that writing can have, because I had to explain one of these complicated ideas to a lawyer who had to translate it into something somebody that the government could patent. 
And so what I found was, you know, continually they wouldn't get it right. And so I had to go back and revise and review. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to write this myself. Well, you know, after that, it was like, all right, well, maybe there's a need for this, like this complicated stuff. Engineers create such great products. Do they really understand how to explain it to people? And that's kind of where I caught the, the marketing bug and, um, and began to kind of pivot uh, to doing that, helping other companies do that uh, and help explain their, the great products that they create. Um, what are they and why are they important? I think that, you know, a word that you use there that, that really resonates, it, it, you know, is translation because you're, you're, and each layer of that, you know, whether it was the engineer translating to you what, what the product was and you translating to the lawyer so that they could write the patent application and then, you know, them translating into legalese and, and government speak in order to get it approved, you know, the further down the line that you can go in terms of getting closer to the customer with that translation and, and tie it back to the, you know, what engineering's original intent was, I, I think is, is really probably the secret here. Yeah, otherwise it almost feels like a game of like content telephone. <laughs> yeah. Well, right, and, and like energy conversion, every time you translate it, it gets a little bit more diluted and more, you know, messed up yeah. than the prior ones. So you want to limit the number of conversion steps you have to go through, so definitely agree. And I love that notion of like you kind of mentioned that you kind of worked on the front end of things, like the, you know the emerging technologies that you know hadn't previously existed. So they're they're new products solving or solving problems in new ways, and that's even harder to kind of describe because in some ways you don't have um, uh, other things to compare it to, or right. like, you know what I mean? Like it's um. I think of it as akin to marketing something um, in a category that people that almost didn't know existed yet, right? It's like how do you, you know? So there's a there's a it seems to me an interesting challenge there. Yeah, and, and that's really where the engineering training comes in really handy because you know we're taught throughout schooling and everywhere else to find find the gaps and find the white space. So engineers learn how to learn in school. And once we start researching and studying, we apply a lot of those principles to figure out where are the gaps. And so then when doing content, it's, it's very similar. Um, helping companies find their value propositions has been something that I didn't expect to do. But, you know, if, if they, they haven't, they come and they realize they want content, but they can't figure out why anybody would pick them versus another. And they can't articulate that. And so through the research process and interviews with their subject team, you know, it becomes pretty clear. Well, this is the magic, guys, over here, whereas you're focused on maybe a product solution or, you know, some more technical thing that's that's harder to explain. And so, you know, communicating, you know, through the research and, and summaries that you find why what they've got is so impactful, um, I, I think it has been the shift. And once people see that and get that, then the audience, then the consumers and customers come alongside and realize the power of what they've just uh, seen. You know, is it the case that they just can't read the label from inside the jar? Or or is it, I guess I'm just kind of curious why you think, um, uh, why is it that you feel you're able to, to uh, capture uh, the unique selling uh, proposition for a particular product uh, and that the company hasn't been able to kind of wrap their arms around yet. Like, what, what do you think the the kind of difference is? is? Just is it just in perspective, or are they too close to it? 
I think that's a large part of it. I, I love the analogy about the label in the jar. That that's so, and it's it's almost cliche because you you know this is why consultants exist. So we want to bring in somebody with a fresh set of eyes and this type of thing. But they're they solved such a complicated technical problem that there is such pride in what the engineers have done. That's what they want to talk about and explain why what they did was so difficult and important to solve. But in that, it's so much more about the what than the why. The first, you know, go back to the first meeting two years ago as to what the problem was that was presented to them, who it helps and why it's important. It, you have to, to set the table with that before you can bring along anybody to understand and appreciate why it's so impactful. And, you know, once you get the why established, then they're with you for the what. And then they're going to want to hear about the journey you took and the problems you encountered and how you unlock them and where the innovation is. But if they don't understand the why, they're not going to assign value to it and they won't necessarily appreciate it as much and they're probably not going to buy it. <laughs> so that's the importance of that journey, I think. Well, they won't pay attention in the first place, right? Right. They'll just keep scrolling or, or however they're, 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 you know, they've come upon what you've, what you've done. You have to grab them right away and, and tell them why it's important. As you, I guess as you do that as part of your, your research and working with clients, I'm, I'm curious how often... How often do you find somebody that's forgot the why? Like they're, they're, they've been in product development so long that they almost forgot why they were doing it. It happens a lot. And, you know, I, I was working with a client a few months ago that that shared that they uh, they developed a product and, and weren't sure what the reason was that they developed it. It was a multi-year cycle. They invested all this capital and research in there and they got to a product. They weren't sure who to sell it to or why it even existed. And, and that really underscores the need for technical marketing. It's, it's to make sure that engineers don't go down the rabbit hole without guardrails and without context. Um, they're going to solve whatever problems in front of them. And so directing that horsepower in the right area is critical. Otherwise, you lose time. And I don't know how many you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars went into that initiative that you know, had little to no return on the back end. Man, like it really speaks to understanding, you know, to ensure, you know, in the, in the other direction that your engineers are talking to your salespeople, your, you know, your, your service folks and, and all of that and truly understanding, you know, what are the things that people are saying are problems and, and what can our products do to help them solve that rather than whew, just building this, this, uh, this new product and then kind of coming to the end of it and going, well, crap! I don't know who the heck is going to buy this. <laughs> I'm just—I'm almost imagining the marketer has to, you know, fight for every uh, sliver of budget. That, <laughs> and hearing that engineering's been off building this thing didn't quite know why. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it—it—it it, it really that that problem to solve is so is the key. And if if I mean engineers are going to solve whatever's on their desk, and so making sure that they're focused on the right problem and the co problem the company wants them to solve. Um, I don't know, it can save a lot of headaches and it can, you know, create something a lot more beneficial for the market and for, you know, the, the client base in general. So, I mean, as an, as an engineer writing engineering content, often it's to sell to other engineers. Um, and so I'm curious, I, and I, so I really appreciate the guidance around, you know, starting with the why, beginning with that problem that's being solved, and then you can get into the detail. And we hear so much in, in manufacturing marketing about how, engineers crave the detail 
so then uh, I, I want to go a couple of, of ways with this first. But I, I want to, I guess, for, let's first get your, I'm kind of curious about your opinion on that. Do you, is that is that true in your experience? Is that the case that engineers really, they, they want to have that encyclopedic level of, of detail in the content that they're consuming? Engineers, more than any discipline I've ever worked with, and, and I, I lump myself into this category as well, I don't like to react unless I have enough information to make me feel confident in what I say. I'm not going to wander into the woods in the middle of a sentence in the middle of a meeting and not know how I got there or how to get out. So the data helps provide the confidence. I mean, if I'm reading a paper, my eyes are gravitating toward a graph. The graph will tell you leaps and bounds more than any paragraphs could. Um, and so I think that that point is, is absolutely accurate. So yes, they, they want data, but the part I'll maybe balance that with is engineers also have a fair amount of imposter syndrome, everyone I've ever met, and they'll never admit it unless they're together, usually at a bar, but that exists in a big way. And as soon as they get anywhere outside of the scope of what their expertise is in, they appreciate, you know, a little bit higher level of details and context before diving into this data. So they appreciate being brought along and, you know, almost the, the notion of, I know you guys understand this, but just to reground on what, what this topic is and then get into the graphs and technical data. They appreciate the heck out of that. And I think so often when an engineer, you know, without any marketing context goes to write, they go right to journal paper mode. They go into thesis mode where it's, it's all about, well, how many syllables can I get in the title of this thing and how many to prove, you know, um, uh, authority in an area to make sure that the audience realizes this is an expert in what they're talking about. And it, that works for journal papers. It doesn't work for content because if I'm reading about, you know, if I'm a chemical and mechanical engineer and I'm reading about electrical things, it's going to go over my head. I'll never admit it as an introverted engineer, but <laughs> it, it, it will. And, and I'm not going to stick there. And I'm not going to try to look for how it can help me or how I can play. I'm just going to continue on because it's it's overwhelmed. And so that that connection, that almost bridge from topic to data, is is a lot of times I think what gets missed in this notion that engineers are just just throw data at us and we'll love it. Mm. Well, there's a little more to it than that. There's a bridge to cross before you get there. I I love you know what what you're really saying is that. Hey, engineers are people too, and they they want to be led into the thing that they you know they're not just mindless data nerds you know they really they want to be spoken to like humans in, in the language they understand, which ends up being more technical verbiage and data. But it's don't 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 start in the middle of a story. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's bit.ly slash sample ABM. I'm, I'm kind of two opinions here. So, I mean, on, on the one hand, I'm thinking maybe you just don't run into these kind of marketers because the kind of marketers that are smart enough to hire you value technical content. <laughs> um, I, but I can, I guess I can tell you that I encounter manufacturing marketers on a fairly regular basis that will say something like, 
we really have a lot of copy on our homepage. You know, we'd really like to trim that back, do more video, maybe do more photography, because um, people don't like to read, which is, of course, translates into I don't like to read, and therefore I think everybody's like me. But um, uh, so I guess I've kind of told you my opinion on it. But I guess how do you deal with that? Have you, have you encountered that in your, in your work? And 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 I guess what's the um, you know, how have you been able to bring them over to your way of thinking? Well, I think it's a good point, and, and video has certainly disrupted even the the digital content industry. I mean, there was you know putting print on a screen, and then all right, well now we're converting to video. Not everybody has the availability, especially engineers that have day jobs and sit at their desk to to watch a video. And so, okay, they'll subtitle it. Well, there's some words. And but but I think the point is engineers appreciate content in different formats. They will they they will go to a video. They'll like to see an infographic, which is kind of leaning into the graph end of things. But they prefer when they really want to understand something, they may start with those those media, but they always come back to something written. They want a document, they want a white paper with some thought leadership, some authority. They want a case study more than anything else. Show me how you've done this in the past. How, you know, who was it successful for? How are they similar to what I might be doing? And, and, you know, to give an insight as to how it might work for me. So that's the other content forms. It's almost an augmentation, not a, you know, not a taking away from the written content. It's a, you know, that's how it's introduced in various forms. It kind of brings them in, but then they are still looking for, you know, for the thought leadership before they make up their mind. And that it just reinforces and concretes everything that they've seen in the other videos and things beforehand, but they are gonna want that document that they can pull out at any given point to reinforce their perspective on a topic. That to me makes me think, you know, what in the work that you've been doing, what have you seen as some of the most successful examples? Like what, what types of content and, you know, what's really, what's really worked for you recently? Yeah, white papers tend to be the most impactful. So I've written a lot around, you know, here's a technical opinion. You know, in, in the alternative energy world, it might be why hydrogen is, is a, a more likely path to alternative energy than batteries or something. Well, you're going to have heated debates among that those communities about, well, I don't agree with that at all. It takes so much energy to make hydrogen. And what about, you know, electrolysis requires all this energy in the front end? And then the battery, the, the, the converse of so that's how do you recycle batteries and where's the lithium come from and all those issues. Stating an opinion that may not be universally accepted, but then supporting it is really how change happens. And so I saw, you know, an example of that as a white paper I wrote for, you know, a company that was looking to establish themselves as a thought leader in their industry. Um, they were in industrial manufacturing and automation. Um, and <laughs> the white paper ended up something like a 200% improvement in engagement in the space where they were using the white paper over, I forget what the period of time, I think a quarter. Um, and it just really speaks to the fact that if you make a point, it doesn't have to be universally popular, but if you support it the right way, using data and using trends, it is impactful. And, and it matters to the people, even if they're not technical, the people reading that, if you've made your case and can support it, I mean, maybe if a marketer reads it and bounces off his technical team, you've done something. I mean, you've shifted it 
And that's how minds can be changed rather than yelling something at someone almost in effect and, and just demanding that, that you're right because, well, I've done this for 30 years and this is my perspective. Well, but why? I mean, there, there's got to be a healthy debate and a healthy challenge and people like to read a fair amount of disagreement and, and friction to understand where uh, maybe the guardrails are or where the technology has evolved. I mean, maybe it, in the last five years, the IOTs brought up one technology past another, whereas historically they weren't in that order. Um, things change and engineers appreciate the dynamics, but they want to have you prove it to them <laughs> versus just stating it. There's kind of two points to your advice there. One is seems is to take a position mm. and the other Which is to love. back it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so I guess I'm, I'm kind of curious. Do you find that people are more likely to take a position and not back it up or are they more likely to just not take a position to try to be everything to everybody or to water down? Well, the safest path is always the second one, right? You can always say something like, well, we, we need green energy. Great. What do I do with that? That doesn't mean anything to anyone. Well, the sun is shining. Are we done? No, not, you know, but it's, um, but, but to take a position is a risk. You're at risk of alienating somebody. And so very rarely do I see somebody take a position and not at least try to support it. <laughs> what, I, what I see is just content that's almost impossible to argue with. But the problem with that is you want them to agree with you, at least somebody, but you also want them to engage with it. And if there's no debate, if there's no discussion to have, you've made a point, good to know. You know, the wind is free. Okay. Moving on, what do you do with that? There's nothing to engage with, nothing to say, nothing to debate. So, you know, taking a position, then making a, you know, supporting point and then, and then sending it back over the net to go, look, what do you, do you agree with this? What is your perspective? What is your experience with this? That's how dialogue and conversations and ultimately engagement start. Because mm -hmm. then you'll see the passion come out. You know, someone will say, well, you know, you don't need to, to automate this process. You can just do it manually and, and just, you know, look for ways to, to lean out the, the manufacturing. Well, okay, but if you automate it, there's a capital investment and here's the payback. Mm, okay, well, you're costing jobs and you're, okay, now discussion's happening. Now things are opening up. And so, although the trend has been to, to have diluted content that everybody agrees with, that's not the path to engagement at all. I can't help but see the parallels to one of my favorite uh, uh, advertising uh, bloggers slash columnists, et cetera, Dave Trott, who was, uh, I was just recently reading, uh, he's out of the UK, and I was reading uh, uh, some commentary from him around advertising that gets noticed versus, versus doesn't. It was like 80, 89% of ads just don't get noticed at all. And then of the 11% that do, 7% are remembered negatively and 4% positively. But the, you know, the, the notion is, is that in order to have a shot at being in that 4% that gets remembered fondly, you've got to be committed to being in the 11% that gets noticed. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it sounds like it's the exact same thing for content. I mean, really, it's just, it's, this is just the way humans work and it's, and it's another way uh, that, that, that it's coming to life in some way. Well, yeah, I mean, I think too, the goal is, you know, most engineers go into it to try to change something for the better. I mean, I went into it to save the environment. This is my personal mission. This is kind of why I do what I do. I want to educate people on these things. You know, manufacturing plays such a huge role in that, um, you know, making manufacturing 
simpler, making more products, you know, just adopting new technologies, adopting green technologies, all these things play so, so well together. And, you know, in order to change something, something has to be different. And if something's different, it's not comfortable. So, I mean, the first step is to, to make somebody uncomfortable with an idea and a thought and to go, all right, well, now that you're uncomfortable, here's how it could look. Here's an idea of how you could get there. And, you know, they're not going to like it maybe on the front end. And some people just resist change. But I think at the end of the day, as engineers and problem solvers, we want change. We want to improve and do better. I mean, combustion engines are 30 percent efficient. As an engineer, I can't accept that. It's, that's that's three out of 10. No, we can do better than that. Um, and so that was really when I started with fuel cells, one of the first appeals to me was like, well, I think we can do a heck of a lot better than 30 percent. And it's going to be bumpy and disruptive. But, you know, we're, we're certainly going to try. I'm struck in your comments by the juxtaposition between B2B uh, manufacturers being basically industrial manufacturers being viewed by most as being quite um, uh, risk averse in their marketing, um, uh, uh, sub, uh, not particularly interested in change uh, in terms of how they sell, and then and and often the, the next word that comes out of the mouth of, mouths of people saying that is that they're, you know they're led by engineers predominantly, engineers and accountants, you know, uh, but then. But then, you know, you just said engineers, like the definition of being an engineer is to is embracing a desire of change. I just like, I feel like there's something, there's a bridge we need to cross here. There's some <laughs> dots that we can connect and everybody wins. I mean, there's, a, there's an aversion to risk and change and then there's a desire to improve. And I think once engineers realize that they create products in the context of a business, that's where that happens. The cost guys get a hold of it and say, well, this isn't manufacturing viable. We're not going to invest this much here because of, you know, low orders this quarter or whatever it is. So the commercial piece ends up kind of shutting down the, the, the fire and the passion around, you know, a product idea. And so that's, again, I think content is, is where, you know, that, that is solved. I think if the business people and marketers and, and executives reading it understand how, a short-term investment may lead to long-term change. Like, could I have written something for Blockbuster to tell them about what Netflix was trying to do or something, you know, something like that. If, if you can see what's going to happen, if you, there's a penalty to not act and that's not acting is, is a decision. And there's a, there's often a penalty to that and, and, you know, kind of walking them down the trend of where this is leading, you know, might be how some of that discomfort gets, um, gets swallowed versus just outright rejected. It's been, uh, I just really enjoyed this kind of meandering conversation yeah. about technical content. It's really, um, uh, it's just fascinating to me. And it's a subject that, uh, you know, I, I think could probably be covered for days. Um, I, I'm curious, uh, I guess, I mean, you've, in your work, I, I'm sure you've, um, seen uh, people that have, um, I've done this well and others that maybe haven't. But I mean, one thing I think I find marketers really struggle with is ex like, you know, not every marketer coming to this has that engineering background that you have. So they need to be able to tap into the engineer, the engineering talent that's in house. And I guess I'm, I'm curious, do you have any tips for how they can maybe do that or, um, um, 
or, or how you've been most successful in kind of uh, partnering with uh, in-house engineering teams as you try to extract the information you need? Yeah, and that's really where the most important part of the research is. I mean, when you engage with the internal subject matter experts, you find the true, you know, where's the passion, first of all? Where's the magic, second of all? And what problems have they actually solved versus the one they sought out to solve? And you'll hear the war stories of how it came to be. And that's the interesting part to do. And so to unlock that, I need basically the marketer, usually if it's an agency, just to connect me with the the subject matter expert, then we can talk as, as engineers and technical peers. Engineers are going to be initially a lot of times pretty averse to a marketer coming in and asking them questions about why they did what they did. They're going to feel like it's an audit or like it's a, you know, some kind of a, an evaluation of what of, of their work. And, you know, I think as an engineer realizing the thought process, I've, I've had a lot of success in, you know, at least starting those conversations and relationships out from a place of, you know, I know this, this is similar to what it looks like you've done. Can you tell me about this more and, and just get them talking, get them talking about what they're passionate about. And then they open up and realize that you're there to help the mission and you're there to help the cause to pull out the interesting thing, not just for, you know, the internal team, but for someone reading about this, um, you know, to, to learn more about it. Uh, and, you know, and then the other thing I've, I've found helpful is, you know, marketers want their own engineering teams to be able to write. Well, you can't just hand them a pen. I mean, it's, it's not as simple as that. So they've got to realize that there are some principles and fundamentals, not just with the writing itself. I mean, the, the funnel introduction from high school and the three paragraphs, but it's more, how will somebody find this online and how will they tie it to our company? And so I've started a, a course for this to help engineers, you know, learn some of these digital marketing principles. What, what actually is SEO? Why is it not evil and, and how could it help me? Uh, th this kind of stuff. And, and how how do you write effectively for the audience you're trying to reach? And so I think, you know, the course will kick in the fall, um, but it's meant for, you know, marketing teams to say, well, here here's my staff of engineers. Can you help them take the first step in writing in the way that we need them to write, to get their great ideas shareable and out, you know, for the greater uh, for the greater market to, to see? Uh, and so you know, that that's that's, I think, the power of unlocking it is, is is one to understand the language that they want you to talk as a marketer, but then also how to frame the way they think from the technical side into what somebody actually would care about when reading about what they did. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this idea of assuming that you can just hand a, an engineer a pen and expect them to write good marketing content is about the same as getting an engineer to hand a slide rule to a marketer and tell them to go design a machine. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just not going to happen. No. And, and the issue is they're going to write you a journal paper and it's going to flop because the, the mission of each of those is totally different. And, and so their perspective is going to be, well, I wrote my thesis. I'm going to pull that out and just see what, what I kind of did there. Or I'm going to pull out this paper that I submitted to ASME and just see, you know, what are the, okay, they looked for an abstract. So they'll probably write you an abstract as the first paragraph. And I'm like, you know, when you look at that, it's impactful for the journal, but it isn't impactful for the marketing side and that the default isn't going to be right. So there has to be that connection and that shift in the way they think about what they're writing before they can just go off. And I think this is the reason freelancers exist. And certainly one of the benefits that I've been able to see is, you know, the clients I work with, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, but there are, there's often a change in their approach after working with me. They see, oh, 
we've been going about this wrong. Your process is helping us figure out, you know, how to get to some of these critical points and how to explain them in a way that's interesting to people versus here's some really hard stuff we did. Aren't we great? Come by from us. It feels pushy. It feels like a, like a, almost a cold call that you're beating them up with data. And that's not, it's, it, it's all about inbound engaging and enrolling versus, um, uh, versus, Hey, look at this, hurry up. Hey, Hey, you let's publish five articles. Look at this technology. No, you have to explain why first and then go from there. I'm really uh, excited for this uh, course offering. I think it's something that, uh, you know, I, I could really see a lot of engineering teams benefiting from. And, and, and frankly, what's exciting is that it's, um, you know, the, it's the ideas that get successfully communicated that spread, right? And, and that's what you're empowering there, I think, is this is how, you know, basically ideas will spread in the future is, is more like how they spread online versus how they spread in journal papers, right? Well, yeah, and, and I think manufacturing is, is waking up to this, like, they're, they're kind of at the, at the peak of the light off point. I mean, I see there's a lot of great content being out there, but as an industry, as a discipline, I think they're really poised for a light off, uh, much like the technology uh, industry has done with IoT. I mean, they're fully invested in content. I think manufacturing is now seeing the power of that and really doubling down and getting getting behind some campaigns, not just a blog post, but how about a whole marketing campaign? Let's design, you know, a white paper, two case studies and a, a series of blog posts to highlight the benefits of this technology and they see the power. And so, when, when you see that happening, it, you, you can't help but be excited for it, right? Because, you know, it's, it's, it's finally the intersection of engineering and marketing where both appreciate the other skill sets and they can work together versus conflicting and, and, you know, kind of tripping over each other throughout this. It's more of a collaborative effort, leveraging each strength and then inviting the, you know, the audience along the way. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a better way to end the show than that, yeah. good sir. So I thank you for uh, joining us today. It's been great. Yeah, thanks so much. Great discussion. Wonderful, Adam. Cheers. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring. <laughs>